0: What did you eat for breakfast? I ate a bagel with cream cheese and lox and coffee.
1: Welcome to Music on Your Own Terms the podcast that aims to help musicians develop an entrepreneurial mindset through interviews, as well as discussing resources, concepts, successes, and more. Providing a platform to talk about negative emotions such as anxiety and depression in order to help overcome them in the context of music and reduce the social stigma. This is episode 114. This episode is sponsored by Ignite Your Music Career. You may remember in episode 90, I chatted to Craig Dodge about sync licensing and how he makes a living through writing music for TV, video games, and film. Musicians all over the world subscribe to Ignite Your Music Career and earn more royalties, more upfront sync fees, and more recurring revenue from their music. Whether you're a composer, singer-songwriter, band, beatmaker, or instrumentalist, your music can be earning you more money. Internationally acclaimed composer, musician, and music educator Craig Dodge has licensed his music in more than 1,000 TV show episodes, films, video games, and ads all over the world, and he will show you how you can too. Ignite gives you the information you need in a simple, accessible format, and you learn at your own pace. For just $6 a month, you get a video lesson each week on topics related to music licensing, from writing techniques to how to find your markets, and everything in between. You also get tools and activities to build the skills you need to be successful, and each lesson includes a royalty-free sound pack to download and use in your own music. The key to success in the music business today is to diversify your sources of revenue. Ignite will show you how. For more information or to subscribe to Ignite, visit the website at tarris studioscom or click the link on musiconyourownterms.com. This time out, I chat with Stephen Schwartz, keyboardist, saxophonist, and manager of the New Orleans-based band, The Crooked Vines. Stephen talks about his start in music, going to Loyola University and remaining in NOLA after graduation to play in various bands, then go on to form the band in question. We also talk at length about the music industry, the business of being in a band, and Stephen's experience with sync licensing in writing a soundtrack for a movie. The conversation rounds off nicely as we hear about Stephen's philosophies on life and the experience that prompted his views. If you enjoy the podcast, there are a couple of ways you can show your support. Go to the store at store.musiconyourownterms.com and buy some merch. And at the same time, sign up for the mailing list to stay connected. Subscribe to the YouTube channel to get extra content you won't find anywhere else. And finally, head over to Podcast Magazine's website at podcastmagazine.com forward slash hot50 and vote for music on your own terms in their Hot 50 monthly chart. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. Today, I'm joined by Stephen Schwartz, who is from the band The Crooked Vines. How are you
0: doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it.
1: Oh, you're very welcome. So you're, you're from Pennsylvania, but the band is based in New Orleans. Is that correct?
0: Yes, that is correct. I, I grew up um, and I'm here currently in Philadelphia, outside of Philadelphia in the suburbs. And I went to college at Loyola University in New Orleans and mm-hmm. I just stayed there after just graduation. Stuck, stuck
1: around. Yeah. Awesome. So yeah, tell us about the band and, and what you do in it.
0: Um, the band has been around. Well, most of us actually met through Loyola University, which has a great music program and uh, and the jazz scene. Obviously, in New Orleans is so mm-hmm. rich, and the educators at Loyola are great. So, most of the members of the band either over time, especially at the beginning, but you know, people have changed over time. We all either met at Loyola or met through Loyola. So, people who joined later were either younger or we knew each other. Um, I I'm the one of the main songwriters, and the uh, I, I would say the band manager, the publisher. I have a publishing company. Um, the trombone player and I are the uh, the two guys who own the LLC, so we run okay. everything. And I, when we're on stage, I play keyboards and saxophone and some vocals. Okay, yeah, awesome.
1: And, and uh, you also play a few other instruments, right?
0: I do. I play uh, like I teach. So I teach uh, piano, guitar, and saxophone. And those are the, I would say, my three main instruments that I play uh, regularly for gigs professionally around town or recording sessions. Um, and then, of course, you know, going to a school, I did music education and jazz saxophone. So I also learned how to play clarinet and flute and all uh, many instruments. So,
1: yeah. Awesome. So how, how did you get hooked up into music in the first place? What made you want to start, you know, playing and then subsequently uh, go to school for it?
0: Uh, ooh, um, I started doing piano kindergarten through sixth, sixth grade. I took lessons from uh, an elderly lady who was, <laughs> I should probably thank her for getting me into it, um, contact mm. her. But that I guess that was kind of what drove me. My mom was musical. Uh, I did a lot of music theater when I was younger. I was in a lot of plays okay. growing up. So my household was filled with music. My parents sang. you know, we, we would listen to James Taylor and they would do the harmonies together and stuff like that. Although neither were ever, you know, professional, or even, you know, anything, they were just hobbyists in their own ways. And oh. uh, I had a, I guess a proclivity for uh, music in general. Um, and I took to the piano. I did that for a number of years. And then I was playing saxophone in the school band. So it was just kind of a snowball effect. I, I was just decent at music. And I, it was just something that, you know, I could progress at and I enjoyed a lot. And I started writing music as mm. time went on. And uh, I taught myself guitar in eighth grade, mostly as a, a tool to meet women but uh, there it is yeah (laughs) successful but um but also very you know enjoyable and at the time you know i'm growing up in the 90s and the 2000s so guitar was still a prevalent instrument nowadays i mean it really it has really moved from the spotlight for you know younger generations it is not the iconic sought out instrument that i think it once was
1: Hmm, That's an interesting perspective.
0: Um, Yeah, because, you know, once upon a time, if we think about the the history of music, classic rock, I mean, classic rock is now a moniker that that covers an umbrella of so many genres. I mean, classic rock is now all the way from like the Turtles and Beach Boys to Nirvana and, you know, Red Hot Chili Peppers now, depending on the radio station, because time lapses. Mm -hmm. But the commonality there, of course, is guitar. Once you start hitting the 2000s, the guitar, other than maybe some Lenny Kravitz stuff, you know, that the idea of the iconic guitarist starts tapering off. Part of that, I think, is saturation in that all these people grew up with this idea of like guitar was the guitar gods, uh, Jimmy Page and uh, Pete Townsend, all these people that I modeled myself after Slash. You know, you wanted to learn all their riffs and you wanted to learn everyone knew Freebird. And now it's like, well, everyone can do that. So right. I think the idea of technology production and computer usage has that's where the gravitation has gone towards. Hmm.
1: Yeah, that's definitely not a perspective I've come across because but then again, I'm a guitar player and I'm mm-hmm. into metal and rock and progressive music, so oh, I'm always yeah. like my my YouTube feed is all, you know, about amps and gear and stuff. So I'm <laughs> living and breathing guitar the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um And from, you know, our gear nerd perspective, it's, it's never been more successful. It's never been more prevalent because, you know, the, the, the sales of guitars and gear are just like through the roof. Mm-hmm. And, and again, but I have, uh, I have heard specifically that it's more of a, you know, you get the lawyers and the doctors that are looking for that rebirth of, Oh, I've got the kids have left home and now I need something to do and it's I'm sure the number of professional musicians has increased as the planet expands in its you know amount of people doing stuff, <laughs> yeah,
0: but population booms yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. but I mean, yeah, I'd never really given that I I, I do like electronic music and, and other stuff, but given that I'm very guitar, Skewed. I think I've never really come across that perspective to say, "Hey, it's not that prevalent anymore." When it's like, well, it's like all that I look
0: at. So. I totally understand that. First off, wait, what type of Prague uh, metal type of stuff? What, what's your
1: pretty much anything really, but I'm I'm from anywhere from extreme death metal to uh, you know. All the way from Pink Floyd, I should say from Pink Floyd, you know, oh, yeah. the early prog rock, all the mm-hmm. way to extreme death metal and everything in between. I mean, oh, that's great. Whatever whatever sounds cool.
0: I would say obviously Pink Floyd, Genesis, yes, those are all ELP. Those are all big for me. Yeah. Um, what do you think of the new Tool album? I thought it was
1: good. I mean, yeah. I've actually had a conversation with someone like Tool and like Guns N' Roses, you know, Chinese democracy and... Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's been a bunch of bands that didn't do anything for a long time, and there's this big hype about like Van Halen, for instance. Mm-hmm. That would be another one. Everyone's looking for the original hits, and then when it doesn't happen, it's like, well, you, you've these are new songs. You're not list like eruption. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be eruption. It's never going to be another eruption that, from that Eddie, happened. Eddie Van Halen. Yes. but then you listen to the album and you take it for what it is. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. You look, listen to the you know, Chinese democracy, I'm a big Bumblefoot fan, and it was pretty damn good. Why it took him 10 years to make it is ridiculous. He should have just done it and got it done with. The mm-hmm. New Tool album, I think, was more to do with some legal stuff.
0: Oh, it's a fascinating story. I, I know a bit about it. Yes, it's fascinating. I don't know
1: too much about it, but you take it. Well, I, I had a conversation with my friend, and he said, mm-hmm. I don't really get what all the fuss is about. and I'm like- if you look at what was around when Tool first came out, mm-hmm. it it was groundbreaking. And this album, it's another Tool album. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. It's not gonna be the most amazing album that Tool have ever put out because they have this pedestal up here, and they're mm-hmm. never gonna get rid of that in the in the public eye. But for hardcore Tool fans, it's another great album. Yeah, you know, you just have to take these albums for for what they are. They're mm-hmm. really good albums. If it's a shit album. It's a shit album but it's not, you know, they they're just pedestal albums, you know, pedestal bands I should say.
0: I I agree and uh I, I I very much feel that way. Yes, I I'm a big Tool fan and the new album uh awesome. I didn't know how to absorb it at first and and definitely in the context that you're saying, well, it's just I mean, hey, they have these things, these milestones, so mm. it's you don't necessarily want to compare and I do believe that bands and I want to connect this cuz I believe that you had Dweezil Zappa on right Indeed. recently, and that's going to connect to my band in a moment, awesome. I believe. yes. Um, but for me, I'm a huge Frank Zappa fan, and I, I've seen Dweezil do the Zappa play Zappa a number of times, yep. and I also like his, individ- his, his uh, personal own-out uh, music.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: the idea is people do get caught up in, the, in this concept of they want the thing that they enjoy. It's that consumerism. Yeah. It's the same thing with uh, uh, movies too and, and even uh, authors, books. You know, it, When somebody creates new art, if they're a success from before, then they're vilified and chastised for being yep. a new person. It's a difficult place for, for artists sure. to be in. If somebody has a hit, then that's what you're known as. And it's a terrible place. I mean we know all these celebrities. It, it can almost be crushing for them.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, oh, totally.
0: So to connect to that, what I wanted to say first off about the the guitar situation is, uh, I do teach and I've been teaching music for sixteen years, and mm. uh, I've taught a lot of guitar to kids as well as adults. And I think what's happening, there was a period. I what I've seen is like '80s influenced the idea of electronics, and I think that we saw that connectivity from the children of that era to where we are kind of now. I think that the children in over the past decade or so, well, they're used to nineties music, which was guitar oriented. So I think that we're sure. going to see a resurgence of the guitar and more analog organic music. Cause we, we kind of saw that with the, uh, I guess, What would you call the the indie folk stuff of like Fleet Foxes and all that, you know, a bit back and My Morning Jacket. I think we're going to kind of Mm. see some of that come around again. I think people are going to get tired of the really produced processed, you know, Cardi B stuff. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean
1: that—that's kind of stuff that I just don't even pay attention to, anyway. So I think, but but I'll I'll relate that to the stuff that I kind of listen to in that, and this will go down a, ner- a really nerdy guitar route really quickly. But <laughs> the whole tube amps versus processing oh, argument, yeah. which mm-hmm. you know, love tube amps, but on stage the audience will not know. I even yep. did not know, like there was this band playing X8s on the floor, which is for people who don't know is a XFX is a very high-end processor and they had oh, yeah. the XFX floorboard, floor pedal. And the only reason I knew it wasn't a, a, a proper tube amp is because I actually, j- just when I saw them on the floor, I mm-hmm. you would never be able to tell from the yeah. audience level. But mm-hmm. anyway, that I digress. That's okay. You know, to, yeah. The gent kind of over-processed thing mm-hmm. is, you know, that's a sound and I, I definitely more gravel towards the kind of real amp m- more playing with with a little more um feel if you will mm-hmm. I, lo- I love all sorts of guitar players but my favorite ones are the ones that have that uh, really high high musical sentience in their playing mm-hmm. if that makes sense
0: oh yeah absolutely. and I'm, I'm
1: rambling a little bit but uh <laughs> i think that gent thing will go away a little bit in favor of more feel playing at some point, and mm-hmm. I, I, th- I think everything dips and and you know
0: it's cyclical. It, it really, yeah, exactly. it, it, it really is cyclical, and I and and we see that in a way. Obviously, there's always a progression, and there's always new. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. But so so to tap into the Dweezil thing, because I wa- yeah, so to connect to my band, so um, I'll give a brief history of the Crooked Vines. As I said, we kind of met up at Loyola. And originally, it was funny. The uh, our original saxophonist was a, a girl named Lori pecca Well, mm-hmm. and earlier I said I play saxophone. What I would do is I would switch from keyboards to saxophone for a few songs and back. But we always had a steady uh, trombone and other alto saxophonist. I would do tenor, so it would either mostly be two horns or we would make it three with my addition. Our singer would go to keys, and then we'd switch. So it was musical chairs on stage. Um, sure. But originally, our, our original saxophonist came up to me in college and said hey Steve I'm thinking about doing a uh, kind of a high end cover band for Bourbon Street if you're those if you're listening familiar with Bourbon Street New Orleans obviously it's quite the decadent drunk fest but there's um, mm-hmm. a lot of cover bands there they are really into live sure. music but it's not jazz it is definitely definitely um, Guns N' Roses and it, the cover music and all, all the stuff you would hear Whitney Houston and everything that one would hear at a bar but and so she said well there's a market for it you can make good money if especially if you're good, mm-hmm. I said, you know what? I'm down. I'm interested just as long as I don't have to do anything. Well, a couple of years later I'm writing all the music and I'm managing the band, booking the gigs, organizing, you know? So, uh, we were, you know, we, we basically we were doing cover music, but we never did the bourbon street thing. We, um, started to incorporate original material of mine because it was just one of those things for some of the gigs we were doing. I was like, we can't just do cover music. And I had these songs, you know, the kind of funky, fun, jam, rock stuff, uh, all my influences of all the things I've listened to, classic rock and, and prog and funk and jazz and fusion and classical music, all these things. Mm. So we released our first album in 2015, uh, and that's on Spotify and iTunes and all that stuff. And, uh, and then our second album, that first album was more my thing. The second album was a little bit more everyone, although I was still the main songwriter, in terms of like percentages and, and how many songs and all the credits, uh, it was much more uh, shared amongst mm-hmm. the band members. And we had grown to a kind of a stable group. You know, it, we had some rotating people at first, and then we kind of solidified for this, the second album. And then what happened was uh, we were doing tours and we had signed with a touring company and a record thing look deal kind of was in maybe in place in management and then something fell off and then as it goes you know one thing f- fell away and then the other thing came up and then fell away so we were gonna make kind of a third album or we we're talking about it and our lead singer actually left the band right before covid mm. and I, which it was for the most part a positive thing um i think because she had her own music uh, our female singer michaela brown had her own projects that she was doing much more folky Nora Jones type of stuff and I think that she was having a lot of trouble you know with a band that was hitting festivals and getting offers Mm -hmm. you know to you know real big time stuff maybe you know that takes sacrifice that takes some decision making I think she was having an issue with uh, giving up what she her personal stuff so it kind of got to a point amicable no 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 issues between us she left the band right before COVID so all of a sudden the pandemic hits and we're just in this like, you know, we were auditioning new singers and trying to figure things out. And I had for a while said that I wanted to make a little, a small live EP for the band. Cause we had all these recordings um, from, you know, over the years. So uh, what was it like? I, uh, you know, April and May, I just started diving in, and you know, we have all this on our hard drive, so many things. So, all of a sudden, it started to blossom into this larger and larger and larger project. And all of a sudden, I was looking at like 20 tracks, and I was taking, awesome. I basically found all the best versions of each of our songs from a live place. And so, I had from like 2016 through 2019 a pretty good range of things with multiple people, you know, our old drummer, our new drummer, a couple of different bass players throughout time. Mm. So, to tapping into zappa uh, i'm a huge 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 zappa fan and i love what he would do would take he would take live so uh, for a number of albums he would take like a live bed or a live basic track and he would overdub on top of it or edit in a certain way and so that's actually what this current album is mostly alive is called mostly alive uh first Mm -hmm. pun is because i think that's how we a lot of us feel during the pandemic and the second is because it is live tracks with edits and overdubs in a to pay homage to frank yeah zappa absolutely
1: yeah, I've also uh, been a fan of uh, Steve Vai for a long time I and mean, obviously mm-hmm. Steve was part yeah. of uh, Frank's band for a long time and he did the same oh, thing yeah. with a bunch of his live records so yeah that's that's really cool. So what does the lineup look like? Are you still without a singer or
0: we yes kind yes and no. We um what well, we decided we were auditioning singers and uh m- female singers just to kind of stick with the same I guess image or, or something sure. and and it on on one hand they were all great. And on the other hand, it wasn't the perfect fit, but we were kind of saying that we wanted to work with all of them in a way. Mm -hmm. So I kind of had, and also I should interject that um, I was, in a cover band with this one girl who went on to be in the top 20 of American Idol last year um, Faith Becknell and that was also a possibility she was also auditioning with us so we had this thing it was like maybe this could turn into something because she has a lot of weight behind her with Mm. some recognition but these other people are great so what we kind of landed on was this idea of well there's all these great musicians male and female in New Orleans why don't we start making music that can feature people why do we have to be limited to one person You know, it's not like anyone's touring right now. No one's giving out, you know, big deals. Like, why don't we just, if we have the recording material in our rehearsal space, and why don't we just write music and it could be for this person? Let's collaborate, which is a a big thing now. Um, We also, sure. And we're also looking into doing, you know, the, the, so now it's all guys in the band, but a number of us are competent singers. So I said, well, I love harmonies. Why don't we do some stuff that's like Beach Boys or like the Turtles where they, they had dual. Uh, it wasn't there are lead vocals, but they're not really lead because they're layered so much. Or the Doobie Brothers. Yep. And I like, why don't we do stuff like that? We're all competent. We could have some really cool music. So we have some. The idea right now is, is that we're going to have some music that uh, hopefully lots of music that features prominent artists in the New Orleans scenes or even in, I mean, you know, nationally with technology, we could just send somebody something and they record back and then also look within for some really neat ideas so that, you know, it just keeps it in home.
1: That's really cool. What what I did want to uh, touch on though is, as well as the idea of featuring other artists, is a really good way of collaborating and kind of getting new ideas and outside influence, mm-hmm. um, just on an artistic level. What I've seen and what you know what I've talked about before on the podcast is, if you look at the featuring tracks on R and B, hip hop, all that kind of stuff that I'm obviously not into, um, <laughs> but. I just just say that as a, as in jest but mm-hmm. um the thing about like algorithms and how Spotify and and it, iTunes work is that that's an extra link to somebody else's profile mm-hmm. now like back in the day when that didn't happen it's like oh when i have to go and find somebody's album now you have a direct link to everybody else's Spotify profile mm-hmm. and that means that you know people can can discover all these different artists in this kind of spider web of of linked artists Mm -hmm. and it's a really good net you know networking tool for artists to kind of get in front of more audience and you know audience sharing Mm -hmm. so i think i don't know if that's a a specific strategy that you've thought about but it's definitely uh it's definitely something that um, you know, rock and metal and, and, you know, old school people don't really think about. It's not something on their mindset. Whereas I think like, especially, I mean, this is a bit of a tangent, but the spot up the SoundCloud hip hop community is mm-hmm. so collaborative. Yes. It, it's like a completely alien world to someone who's more into rock. Mm-hmm. And, and I think... Looking at those those ways of doing things is is really something that every musician should kind of pay attention to because it 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 just blows up your exposure really.
0: Absolutely, I mean yes, that is a huge part of what's happening right now. With I think there's an app called Collab, and TikTok Mm -hmm. is uh, really proactive with trying to make people you can share, you can collaborate, like you can create something for people to use musically. So this. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's the, the duets. Yeah. yeah. So this idea, and I mean, there's there's other. Th- I mean, there's so many apps and programs now, there, and, and there's lots of things that are trying to link people up. And it, absolutely correct. It is a network. It's a spider web. It's a clickable link. And it, it. So from, I guess, a a marketing concept or, or maybe an advantageous idea. Yes, that is part of what we have been thinking, but not, not to not in a way that to to like the ends justify the means but more like this is a good idea why wouldn't right. we do that? i mean we're in this position you know Absolutely. Let's, let's do that. Take advantage of the situation more.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not saying go out and do it as a. Th- as a thing, <laughs> yeah, but I, yeah. I'm saying yeah. because I'm just saying collaboration is a really cool idea on an artistic level. But this mm-hmm. this is the added benefit of it.
0: Absolutely. In well, today's we, got, we gotta get world, we so. gotta get you on the guitar. We gotta we gotta get yeah. you to collaborate. I'm I'm down. Absolutely. Yes. yes. Where
1: did you come up with the knowledge and and what made you want to manage? Is that. Did you like do a course on management and the business side in in
0: school or is this just something that's done organically or organically? I've just had (laughs) I've been in this interesting position uh, where I my personality is I've always gravitated over my life to kind of a leadership type of person, not -hmm. necessarily because I wanted to. I just have that type of personality and all the bands that I've really had. I have been. The leader of when I I started a classic rock band in high school, a sophomore year, and it was just one of those things where you know I had my like couple of my best friends were you know okay you you're not even in the music but we need a singer you're the singer and, and you play bass where you know like we, <laughs> I just wanted to play Led Zeppelin and Who songs and then write some music and we we had a pretty good band and the thing was that I realized really quickly within like the first week or two is some people have they don't have the drive. They some people need a person to push. They need somebody who says, "Well, we who organizes the uh, the the rehearsal or the the music writing or whatever." And it, I mean, for me, you know, I had time in high school, so it was a, it was a passion. It was just I enjoyed it, and I was getting my ideas out there. And we were obviously writing things together. But I was a push. And then in college, I was having more of those types of things in school. Realizing, I guess, as you grow up, that. It's funny. As you get older, you realize that a lot of our traits and personalities are really just exaggerations of all the kids that we met when we were younger. Like everyone is just everyone who they were in the past. They're just – they have to put on adult clothes now and do shit. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> damn.
1: Adulting sucks. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's a verb so, now. <laughs> I mean – um I want to be kind of devil's advocate here, mm-hmm. and I've been in that situation before. What at what point do you kind, of, or, or how do you not get frustrated to the point where you just quit because somebody's not doing enough? Like, how how do you manage that? Because I I've definitely mm-hmm. been in a couple of situations where it's like, you know, instead of it being oh I can do this this and this, it becomes. Right, I have to do this because this guy's not doing his part or or she's not doing her part. And it's like, how do you manage being the leader? And, you know, when you can't delegate because either not not to say that the ability isn't there, because that's a different thing, but just the willingness to do anything other than their play their instrument, let's say.
0: That's a great question. It comes down to. The investment, the uh, the emotional and intellectual investment that you have in whatever you're doing. So mm-hmm. uh, for me, with the various bands I've talked about, they just ended up revolving around things I wanted. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be the lead guitarist in that high school band. I didn't want to sing. If I wanted to sing, I would have pushed for a situation where I sang, but I didn't. I wanted to play guitar, <laughs> you know. I wanted to push some of my music out. I went. I did a, a project. It was kind of like a Primus uh, thing in college awesome. called Scuba Steve and the Aqua Squad, which is <laughs> it is available under my name on Spotify and iTunes. I made a profile. I did a soundtrack um, for uh, my friend. He's a filmmaker. Well, now he's a he's a podcast guy, but, but he works for NPR. He does um, snap judgment. So he's like a, like, he's like a journalist podcast Mm kind of guy. And, um, but he used to, he used to be a filmmaker. So I made a a soundtrack for him and I do under Steven Schwartz. There is, it is on Spotify and iTunes. You can listen to a very busy man, which the crooked vines technically recorded, but it's not under our name and it does have a song sung by our lead singer called hang up the phone, which is pretty poppy, but it's not, under our moniker but i also had these songs called from scuba steve and the aqua squad and they're up there too it's uh I think it's the lost tapes of Scuba Steve, but we used to call it the uh, best of, <laughs> um, <laughs> or greatest hits or something. Anyways, but it was it, <laughs> "Neon Nipples" was a song, and I don't know, very primacy. That's
1: very That's very Oh,
0: oh well. yeah, 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 uh, yeah. Divine bovine, and uh, they, they, they were they were fun. You should check it out. Yeah, I think you, will. I think you'd like it. They're very fun. Yes. They don't get any streams, but I just put up there for funsies. Um, anyway, so th- the end of that was for me to have a lot of fun. And the uh, bass player on those songs, uh, my, my buddy Dave, he, uh, he also, like, we had a joint idea. So, to answer your question, I've been in other projects where I didn't care as much. Mm. And some people, I could tell just walking into the situation, I've been in a few, especially in New Orleans, there's lots of little bands and everyone kind of plays with each other. And I've been in many little projects where somebody was like, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And I walk in and I could tell there's none, there's, there wasn't really that that one person who or, or two people who really wanted to make it happen. And I personally was not going to step up because I had so many other things on my plate and, it, and I didn't have any uh, gain to get from it. Sure. Or if there was gains to be made, they would, I mean, so much more investment would have to be. So I, I know that's a little business-like and a little cold, but that is sometimes an important way for me of thinking about how you spend your time and energy. I have a real big, big thing about, you know, in life where we uh, we're born, we have time and then we die. The time mm-hmm. that you have, you don't know. So I think our, one of our only commodities in this world is time. And how you spend it, right? I mean, everything else that's is kind cool. of like fiat money, crypto, whatever it is. You know, th- those things are are almost irrelevant to the idea of time. And so, and then that's connected to energy. So time and energy are really important commodities, or you know, expenditures that we can we can give or you know take. So that that's that. I hope that answers your question. In my mind, if I guess to wrap that up, if something is not worth the investment or the gain, then. You know, I, and I've certainly been the person. I was playing with uh, Waterseed, which is a pretty big New Orleans band. I guess technically I'm still in them. I joined right before the pandemic and we did these great shows and we were going to play at Jazz Fest on Congo Square Stage and French Quarter and we were go going to go on tour and they were, you know, with a record company and all these things were happening. The pandemic happened. And I was the second keyboardist. Now they are, you should check them out. Waterseed, it's a killing kind of like jazz fusion type of band. A little weird, mm. uh, a lot of... You can tell there's a lot of like Parliament and George Duke in okay, there. Cool. And George Duke, I know from the Zappa years, but George has, you know, quite, I mean, that guy's got like 30, 40 albums or something. So mm-hmm. so they have this like really fun vibe and just like great music. But when the pandemic hit, all the gigs went away, right? So they were asking of me, you know, I was, I was afraid about COVID and they were asking me to basically show up every Monday, no pay, just to rehearse. And I had a couple instances where I tried to like put some of my own, you know, if I'm sacrificing some, you know, my time, if I'm not getting compensated, then you're taking my time and my energy. I'm learning your music. So I want to have some say. And they kind of um, poo-pooed me a little bit. Or they said, well, if you're going to have a say in this, you have to be all in. I said, well, that's, that's really intense. So I, I was right. definitely the, the guy in that situation where I was like, okay, I, ju- I guess I'm just the keyboard player. You just tell me where to be, man. I'll play it. You just tell me what to play and where to do it.
1: And I'll do that. Right. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I I mean I I think maybe you know hindsight's twenty twenty and maybe my issue was putting my all into something where I kind of expected other people to follow suit and it just didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And then and that and that you know fit into the podcast and, and things like being mindful of what you're doing on a business level and just things didn't make sense that were happening, so it didn't happen, mm-hmm. and I could see why. So I now I can bring that information and say, all right, well, this is how – this is what you should do. This is what you shouldn't do. Mm-hmm. So – Good, good learning experience so speaking of i mean speaking of soundtracks a little bit i know one way that people are starting to supplement their income and maybe may, make an income and something i've definitely been pushing on the podcast is sync licensing mm-hmm. is that something that you've explored
0: yes i um, have submitted to audioSocket and uh, there's a couple others out there they haven't accepted what i've submitted yet but i will keep trying i also know that there's I'll say this for anyone who's listening your you reap what you sow your proactivity will get results and I am very aware that if I were to be very pushy because essentially what I've discovered is anyone else who's in the music businesses like especially old school mindset there's a you know the publisher and uh all, you know the record companies and labels and they have these people who you know in different divisions well, yes, they have contacts, but they just got a lot of those people just got those contacts by knocking down doors yeah. and they established a contact list. Booking agents are that's a big field of that. They basically just, you know, unless they it's really corporations or companies that are interacting with each other, if it's like person to person, they just knock down a bunch of doors. They sound, you know, for this press release for this, our most recent album, Mostly Alive which I contacted you about, you know, it's just me. Right. I sent out like 140 emails one day, you know, like a press release thing and, and you were separate because of uh, Instagram, but still I did that. And have I netted seven, eight replies? Yes, but that's better than zero. And it's, you know, it's getting good stuff. I was just on TV uh, on Monday and, you know, I'm doing this now, which is awesome. So I yeah. I think that with sync licensing, it's something that I haven't delved into because it takes time. And if it's not yep. compensating me right now enough for that time, it's difficult to put it there. But I know it exists and I know that you can be – those listening, you can do it. Get the emails. Get, mm-hmm. Listen to Ari Herstand. He's got uh, – I think, right? He's got all those – I mean there are things you just contact people. Knock down those doors. You can do it. Absolutely. The other thing too is uh, one of those brain farts is coming along. I can feel it. <laughs> oh, Syncio. That's another one. Syncio. That was around for a while. That was, uh, that, that, yeah, okay. that was another li- uh, Sync licensing thing. Sorry. Go
1: ahead. No, no, you're fine. Um, don't get old. That <laughs> I'm trying to... Where was I going? Where was I going with that? You were, we were talking about syncs. Once, once you hit, once you hit forty. Well, yeah, I was, I was going. There was a particular thread. but okay. Once you hit forty, it's down. <laughs> okay. So no, what I was going to say is that the the beauty of sync licensing, in, in in from my perspective, is you know, as an artist, you're always kind of tweaking a recording mm-hmm. oh, yeah. and figuring out oh i what if i put this baseline on here what if i put this effect on this mm-hmm. the thing the thing i've learned about sync licensing is because there's so many different cues in you know let's say it's a video game for mm-hmm. instance you're going to have to have variations on a theme for different areas of the game. Absolutely. So the fact that now, you, you know, it, it's like a, if you're trying to record your album, it's a curse to say, oh, I, I what if I tweak the bass here? What if I tweak this snare? Mm-hmm. If you've got like 10, 20 different versions of a mix instrumental version, there's a horn only version, there's a very stripped down acoustic version. Mm -hmm. That's actually a really, really good thing for sync licenses because it means you have 20 different tracks that you can submit instead of just one Mm -hmm. final, you know, one final mix. So the only downside I can see is the fact that you have to buy more hard drives. But if you have <laughs> yeah. the ability to have the data, then go for broke and just like do whatever you want to that mix mm-hmm. and and save it as version one through 20. Mm-hmm. And then you can submit that to the whatever licensing catalog Mm -hmm. and you might get lucky that way it's like you said it's a numbers game yeah and and in that way it's the same it's a numbers game because now you've got more exposure with all these library tracks Mm -hmm. rather than just one or two and you're more likely to pick something up that way have you had much success with sync stuff haven't started yet so get into it it's on my list i will it's definitely on my list it's you know it's it's like everything else Life happens and unless you make your time, you know, carve out some time, it just doesn't happen. So yes, I fully intend to, but have not started yet. Well,
0: absolutely. What you said, what you said uh, sparked a memory in my, in me of, and I will say that I do have that sound, the soundtracks I've done for my, my one friend and one of them's on online. Yes, we had like, there was a piano version and a saxophone version and, a, you know, we had multiple mm-hmm. versions of stuff ex- for the exact reasons that you said, soundtracks uh, for film and for video games are very similar. They need variations. Absolutely. So you can think about any video game you've ever played, like The Last of Us, and there's that, you know, that, you know, the, the theme of The Last of Us, and then you hear it when you're elsewhere. You're just wandering the countryside, but it's a little different. So yes,
1: it's like a Devon Townsend album. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. So uh, a friend of mine, he's the drummer for Naughty Professor, which is a pretty big time band in New Orleans, and we went mm-hmm. to Loyola University together, and we we actually brought the <laughs> we brought the pet band back. While we were at college, which was a lot of fun for the basketball games, but there hadn't been a pep band since the eighties, so it was it was a, it was a really good time. We got paid and ate pizza and watched basketball and played music. And I remember we were sitting there, and uh, he was a year younger than me, and we were talking about scholarships. Loyola has some really good programs, and he was like, actually. And he blew my mind. He's like, what I did is when I was in high school, I got this list. He was from DC area. He said, I got this list or I knew some people and I grew the list organically, but I basically got email addresses for wealthy people and wealthy people mm-hmm. who don't know how to spend their money and all they want to do is help but they don't know how cuz charities can you know can, there are, there are things it's hard sometimes for wealthy people to actually help in a meaningful way just because they don't quite know or they don't have a, a direct effect on one person so they have to give to like a charity organization or something so he emailed sure. he said he said I sent out like 150 emails and all it took was one very nice lady to say I'll pay for your college wow paid for his entire education he goes all i do and she's awesome and we have dinner a couple times a year she takes me out to dinner she's my sponsor i said holy shit dude that blew that blew my mind
2: yes
0: so well you know i'm like 20 or something and somebody tells me that i was like i I didn't know you could do that i didn't know you could game the system like that and from then on i was like what else can you do like that you know (laughs) like i guess i could just do that with anything so pretty much I mean so that, that's good.
1: how startups work. Yeah.
0: So I mean that's the thing.
1: I, I, I that that's a very good point. I do know, and it's very few because people don't have the mindset. But there there are definitely musicians who've gone to seek fun, you know, s- seed money mm-hmm. as a business, just like a technology or a software firm does, yeah. and said, hey, if you give me this amount of money, then you know I will give you X return on your investment over this amount of years. It's the exact same thing. I think the problem is that music is such a non-tangible thing, whereas mm-hmm. a piece of software or an invention is a tangible product. Yes. But but again, it's still you know the 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 legitimacy of a piece of software or a, um, a physical product is only as good as its actual marketing. Mm-hmm. You know, it has to work, mm-hmm. but so does music. So if it's if it's you know, it does. You know, music is so subjective that I think any music could be successful with the right type of marketing. So the the idea stands that you could seed your project with with an investor, mm-hmm. but musicians don't tend to
0: think like that because they don't like selling. They don't, and it's often difficult. We we did a Kickstarter for our second album, and it was a mm. huge success for us. I mean, I mean, we only raised three or four thousand dollars but um i mean we had big contributors some people are doing 200 300 at a a time you know from certain families and uh it essentially funded the entirety of that second album which was much more professionally recorded than the first the first was a little more ragtag and the second was like you know at word of mouth studio with uh david farrell and tim stanbow and david has like six grammys and you know like we we did like a thing the second time around nice um it's a great sounding album a little bit I think some of the edge that you can find in our new, newest album, mostly live, which obviously is a little more live, but some of the edge from the first and the third album were missing in that second, but the polish of the second is, you know, definitely a higher quality, right. but we did, we did that Kickstarter because lots of people are doing the Kickstarter and the GoFundMe for bands. So there is an element there, but it's difficult. It's hard because like you said, it's a non tangible product other than like the CD and like, I guess having it on your phone, but a art, art is uh, ineffable in in a way that we it is difficult to seed. But I'm gonna do a plug. We have started a Patreon account for the band. We just started it. We had our the new album as early early access on there when we. St- launched it like I guess a little over a month ago Um, now that the album's uh, you know public we have there's going to be a bonus track album I have liner notes I did a bunch of behind the scenes vlogs and we plan on releasing you know live uh, videos from the rehearsal studio and new singles that are exclusive to Patreon so we are going down that route Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Patreon
1: I'm familiar with it for the podcast I have one set up but I haven't really done much with it Mm -hmm. so do you have any tips for
0: musicians that are thinking of doing Patreon the Well, I just got into it, so I can't say too much. We only have a few supporters, but I will say this. I went into it with the mindset that I didn't care if there was zero or 100. I need to, at least for the next six to eight months, treat it like there's 100 people in there. So my attitude Mm -hmm. has been I need to create content regardless if anyone's consuming it. And so that's where we're kind of at. I've been doing things and I have plans to to make more. And I, I plan on putting energy into it in a positive way. And I hope that it yields returns in, you know, maybe a little less than a year to a year. I'm going to reass- – as a band, I'm going to reassess. We already have. One person's a $100 a month, you know, like somebody wow. – yeah, somebody else. That's fantastic. Yeah, everyone else is like five and three, but <laughs> – you know? but hey – Every little help, oh my God, it really does and it, it and it feels really good. I know that they know me like we know each other and they're they're helping a basically helping a friend or or something but um sure. but you never know you know who who comes at it next, so I guess if I had advice my i think the mentality of it is don't think that you're creating you're not creating a demand wait, you're not creating a supply because there's demand, you're creating a supply with the hopes that one day there will be a demand.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. It's just like, just like playing a gig, play your best, whether it's one person in front of you or a thousand people. Absolutely. It's the same exact thing. It's just a different platform.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And for me, I've landed on something. I've always known this, but I've been able to better articulate it lately is that I make it for me. And I can say that without any, Mm -hmm. I do it. I mean, I made this most recent record. I made that for me. And I didn't care. I knew that I was going to release it in some capacity and that people would hear it, but I didn't make it for other people. And I, and, and I don't mean that to, to say that I don't, I don't care, I, that I don't want other people to hear it. I have realized that I need to be happy with what I make because no one else values it the same way I do. So, you know, it's like what we talk about, you know, tangibility, a product, money, you know, whatever it is that we give as humans, we give value to art is difficult to evaluate. And I mm-hmm. need to believe in what I've created and love it. And for I've also realized like, okay, whatever, if I do it, I need to do it for me. So it's the same thing on stage. You're absolutely right. Play the best you can for one or a hundred people. And my underneath of that is because I like playing well. Like I like being a good player. I like making good music with the people I'm on stage with. I would feel very bad about myself if I didn't do that. So then, and then sure. I can put it beyond that and say, and I'm also obviously performing for people because that's part of the gig. I'm performing for you. So it's, it's a weird thing. Like I do a lot for myself because I'm also doing it for you and I need you and you need me. It's a weird symbiosis. <laughs> <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> I know this weird, sorry. <laughs>
1: yeah. one, one last question before we move on to the, the regular questions. I did. Sure. Have you
0: done any corporate gigs? Um, y- uh, yes and no. I have definitely done that with other bands, like cover. I've been in a number of cover bands that explicitly do cover bands. The Crooked Vines. We've done a few engagements. We we've been hired for weddings, but luckily the people who hire us for weddings are also want us as the entity that we are. So obviously we'll do many covers because you know, especially in New Orleans, like we'll play on Frenchman Street, which is like the Bourbon Street that's for like real artists, I guess. And so <laughs> you so, but you're still playing three hours, so. You got to play a lot of covers to keep the people in. You're getting paid a percentage of bar plus tips. So we grew up. You know, our band was formed through the the fire of playing three and a half, two and a half, three and a half hour gigs. And you have mm-hmm. to do, you know, you got to do the Bill Withers covers, Use Me, and you got to do, you know, Beatles, and you got to do all this stuff. Um, so we know them, and we can do it, and we do them for weddings. But then we'll do our original stuff. The I we have been hired for some, I guess, corporate events. I suppose. And we have a hundred percent done original material <laughs> because that's what we said that we we're gonna do, and I didn't care. I was like, okay, we're doing our song, like fuck them. and uh, they liked it, you know. <laughs> so that's great. But there's no, I mean, y- you
1: wouldn't consider doing it as a as a a, a specific thing. I was just wondered if there
0: were any pitfalls or any
1: anything you learned from doing them.
0: Uh, what do you what do you mean, like that they're unenjoyable or something? <laughs> Or something,
1: no. I mean, you're basically, you know, a we- obviously, wedding bands can be very lucrative, but yeah. also they're they're very. It's not like playing your own music where you're being you're being judged by bridezilla's sometimes.
0: Oh, I see what you're saying. Uh,
1: yeah. But I'm just I'm just saying in general, are there any pitfalls of doing those type of high, you know,
0: band for hire type things? Uh, with okay, great, I understand. With my band, the Crooked Vines, no. If it pays and it puts us in front of people and we do have the opportunity to play a, a original material somewhere in there, then it's worth yeah. it, definitely. There are times in that particular gig or maybe the um, the management surrounding it or the details and all that stuff that suck, but the thing itself is often worthwhile in, in on, a, on a personal level as well as a monetary level. And I'm also the type of person, like when we do covers... We do them in my way. So I arrange things or change things or we fluctuate or we'll do things on stage. Me and my mm-hmm. our, and the, our new drummer and bass player, we, we have this like, I'll just be like, we're going to reggae. And we'll do it for like four bars and everyone be like, what the hell? And then we're going back to rock and roll. And because it's fun for me and it messes with people and I like that. Yep. And we'll just do that. For cover bands that I've like, I'm a hired keyboard player in the after party band or Faith Becknell or whatever these projects I've been in. There is yes, there is a cost analysis, cost benefit analysis type of thing that I have to go through sometimes. Of like, does this suck? And am I am I making enough money to justify the <laughs> the amount of time and effort I'm putting into it? Do I am I happy with my life? I for the most part have been paid enough that it's worth it. And I I enjoy I enjoy weddings. I like people having a good time, and I, I I'll drink there, like <laughs> I'll I'll eat the food. I have a good time at oh, wedding right. gigs, um, but. I totally understand why some people are over it. I know so many people that are just like, Oh my God, shoot me. You know, I can't do another one because that's their life, especially in the Baltimore area or other DC. I know some people like their whole life, their whole income is the wedding seasons and that's all they do. Mm. And at some point you do, you go like, how many times am I going to play brown eyed girl? Or, you know, right. or like love the one you're with or some sh- or like at last, you just could blow your brains out, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome.
1: So I'll go to my, uh, my standard non-quickfire round questions. What is one resource could be a book podcast blog mm-hmm. would you recommend to artists looking to be successful?
0: Hmm. Well, I, I, I really enjoyed David Burns' How Music Works book that had a lot of great information and insight for me that I know I'm sure lots of people say that and he has a few books out about music I mean he's such a prolific person and prevalent too and, and still making I haven't seen the new American Utopia thing but I you know I hear that's really great mm-hmm. of course David Byrne from Talking Heads who I'm talking about but uh, that 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 is a really interesting book that gave me a lot of insight into not not ex- Not exactly how the music business works, but concepts of like music in human history and the trajectory of, yes, the music business in a way. It was written at a time where the internet, I think it was like late 2000s. So it was like when record deals were just like, you know, like falling away. And, uh, but the idea that he was hopeful is that it gives a lot of ownership and uh, agency Mm. to creators. Obviously, the Donald Passman music business book. For those who're listening, that's like it's basically a textbook for college courses. But I didn't take any of those courses in college, and I still bought it, and it's awesome. That gave me a lot of insight into how to publish my music properly and to control my Mm -hmm. music. I mean I knew a lot about copywriting and uh, registering copyrights and registering my music with like BMI and uh, Nielsen SoundScan and SoundExchange and now there's the MLC Mechanical Licensing Company for those if you're mm-hmm. uh, a composer there's a lot of ways for you to actually make little bits of money here and there and they do add up you know, even if you're not a super successful person, if you perform live, BMI, I'm with BMI, but ASCAP has the same thing. You can register your live performances every time and you get decent money for live performances. So there's a yeah. lot of things there. Donald Passman gave me a lot of insight into how contracts work and the idea of like royalties and the verse, you know, all these things. And I guess uh, Ari Herstand is another person. He's he's yeah, he's his mm-hmm. stuff. The, the way that he and he's actually friendly with our former lead singer, singer Michaela. They, oh, they've cool. done stuff together. I don't think they've, they've collaborated, but they know each other from certain things. And like, you know, they've sure. met up a few times and hung out. But right now, I mean, he knows how to utilize the idea of like Instagram and TikTok and those types of things because so he gives these great little insights and he knows how to hit the points. So his insight into music business um, is definitely a little bit radical in that he's he is that kind of like MacGyver kind of fella, you know. Hey, mm-hmm. it's an open game. Do what you do. What makes sense, you know. As long as you're not hurting anyone, you know, you're you're doing right. You know, there's there's no rule book essentially. Like, go for it. And I and I really appreciate that. Yep.
1: And actually, I think from what I hear, some of the uh, courses have switched from the Donald Passman book mm-hmm. and using Ari's book now as a textbook. That's awesome. So. Yeah. Yeah. And oh, the, what was the the statistic when 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 your gig pay, payouts sit too long? Mm-hmm. Do they they get they get passed on to the top percentage of artists? Right. Yes. Now? So if you, if you don't register your, your gig, so basically the, the, the if you own the copyright for your song, the money that the gig uh, venue pays as a license mm-hmm. goes towards ASCAP BMI for the rights. So you put your set list in and it's supposed to pay for the cover songs as well. But your <laughs> yeah. songs, are, and you're getting paid for performing your own songs. And if you don't register them within a certain, is it three months? I, I think uh, it's like every, every 90 days or something. Something yeah. like that. You have, you have, yeah,
0: there's a window like maybe three, four months that you have. Yes. So, I mean, you have a lot mm-hmm. of time. It's for people who are on tour and they can't get to it till they're done touring. Yeah. So. Right. But then if you
1: don't collect it, then it goes to the top percentage of artists. It goes to Beyonce so the, and Cardi B. Ric- yeah, yeah. The richer ones get richer. It's the whole one percentage.
0: Absolutely. It's, it, what it is is unclaimed funds. Yeah. Just like you said, because yeah. everyone's, every venue pays a certain amount of money. Yearly, and it, it it's not dependent upon who has played there. It's de- it's just it's just to have it, and then that money is then divvied amongst people, and that fund is right. given, like you just said, if it's unclaimed, it's just given to the top earners, which is messed up. <laughs> it should be it should be disseminated amongst right. the lowest earners, but whatever. So yeah, there's a lot of unclaimed money, and and that is not just for the live performance. It's also for other things and you never i mean i've gotten paid i got paid a sync licensing thing from bmi for something it was it it, it was a song i registered but it must have mm. just matched title wise with something that somebody else wrote but because they didn't claim it properly i got like hundreds of dollars for being on like boot camp something on you know some tv show it, my music was not on that show but the person didn't register their stuff properly so the money went to me mm. i didn't say anything <laughs> You know, like... And that's happened multiple times. I've gotten all sorts of Spotify notification, uh, basically, because now they, they notify you when they license things. And I've gotten all sorts of stuff that it just happens to have Crooked in the name or Steven Schwartz or like the right title. So I get paid a little bit just because I registered properly or I did the correct copyright mm. or whatever it is. So
1: I think the lesson for people is make sure all your T's are crossed and your I's are dotted and everything's correct. Every time. Yeah. Submit every single piece of thing that you can get hold of. So Cool. What is the pe- one piece of advice? Other than that, that would be a great piece of advice. But what 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 is one piece of advice you would give a musician looking to make a
0: living from music? Uh, don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's fair. I think I saw a great meme. It said it was somebody playing guitar. It says practice makes poverty. But uh, <laughs> um, the, I what I uh, that being said, uh, I think. You, one would a person would have to decide are they a musician or an artist or are you a, a, a bridge i've been both i've been a musician for hire a freelancer and i've i've been more of that and i've also been both an artist with my own thing and a freelance and i've also been an artist and the whole time i've also been a private music teacher so i think the industry is changing and you need if you want to be a musician, you need to live somewhere where you can get gigs. You have, If you need, are freelancing and you can get gigs, you have to be good enough to play those gigs. So you have to be proficient and have the chops. And you have to know people and be pretty amicable and market yourself in a way. I mean, not whore yourself out, but you have to be like networky and all that stuff. And you have to be willing to play music. And that is hard. I think that a person could... Some people love that, by the way. I know people who like love that life. Others, I, I was a little more ambivalent towards that life. I am much happier having some sort of income that's a little more steady from a side gig that I can kind of take or leave, which is what freelance me- teaching music is for me, and making art, making music that is my own or, or maybe somebody else's original music, but whatever. That to me is like an investment. I'm banking on that elevator ride. If I'm playing cover music or I'm just playing with other bands, most likely I'm not going to catch that that draft up but if my music if it takes off or i get a hit song or all it takes is that one song in a movie or a tv show and you got that you know 20 grand coming in and that funds you for enough to do a soundtrack if you can do that you could make you can make something happen and you also have to be wise with the idea of like invest your money then like no one's paying into a pension so take if you have extra money get a money manager like get a roth ira <laughs> you know like, like you got to watch it for yourself so that there's a whole thing there uh, for those listening if you feel that you want to get into the world of music do it knowing that you kind of you need to have some thoughts and some balls you know you need to have some cojones in your um, convictions
1: mm-hmm. to do it awesome thank you so much what significant negative experience
0: have you overcome and what did that teach you Oof. negative experience um Hmm, that's a great question uh, when, uh, when I was younger, I had a friend die uh, when I was in college freshman year of college and that was a uh, traumatic it was it was a fraternity pledge class situation and one of the guys died and it was it was overwhelmingly traumatic and the whole school was Mm -hmm. kind of um it it was like a whole turn it was a whole thing for the school and the fraternity and the greek life and all this stuff that influenced a lot of my outlook because from there you know i I was 19 you know when you're younger Mm -hmm. i think people like in high school i I remember that this girl was in a one girl was in a car accident she died so you have these like when you're younger You know, sometimes like a grandparent dies and that's kind of, that's natural. You know, I mean, like it sucks, but death is a part of life and you have these like kind of natural stepping stones or an uncle or something like we all, everyone in our lives, we all have like, we encounter death early on enough, but what starts happening is as you get older, you start encountering death in your own age group, Mm -hmm. which starts to become very bizarre when especially when you're younger, it's like crazy because you know, you're kind of promised this, I uh, like everyone's promised this like life. You know, we're we're kind of taught, oh, you know, hey, life expectancy is up, you know, to 90 or 85 or whatever it is. So you think you make plans, too. You have ideas and hopes and dreams. And so when this guy died, it was such an impactful thing. And the way it happened was really bizarre, a brain aneurysm. But also, like, the things surrounding it, it was just really intense. And then from there, you know, I kind of had to encounter and confront Death in my life. My dog might like my childhood dog died right after, and this like truck that might you know I had. It was just like this whole thing. It was like boom, 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 and um, I, I think that was you know a massively negative experience in my life that took me some time to you know in uh, to, to look within. Uh, and face my own mortality in a way that I hadn't before. It wasn't a freak accident. Mm. It wasn't uh, a drunk driver. It wasn't, uh, you know, a slippery, icy road. It wasn't a fire. It wasn't something like crazy that just shit just happens. I mean, it was. It was a brain aneurysm. But that's kind of the thing, it was like it could happen to anybody.
1: Absolutely. I
0: was like, whoa. You know, I guess, you know, like. Somebody could a drunk driver could hit you at any time, or you get struck by lightning, or you know whatever. All these things can happen in our lives. Um, but a lot of times we feel that we have agency over it, like, you know, that we made a mistake. You know, I I messed up. Oh, that's that's why that happened. Or that person. Oh, they they fucked up. They they did something, and so now they're dead. But this guy just, and he's nineteen. Mm-hmm. So that was that was a huge thing for me, and um, I would say that that influenced a lot of what i do in 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 my viewpoint of life so i i, I awesome. hate to i hate to fall upon like cliches like live each day like it's your last because one shouldn't one should plan for the future you you need to think about what's what's ahead of you and if everyone lived each day like it was their last i don't think we wouldn't have much going on <laughs> be a pretty yeah. unproductive world <laughs> <laughs> um potentially yeah but i think that everyone needs to embrace and cherish you know i i try to wake up each day and, I, and sometimes i'm grumpy because i had to set an alarm for something and then i go well i'm alive it's a good day right <laughs> that, that's an awesome answer thank you so much no.
1: what major positive experience has given you the push to follow this journey <laughs>
0: i should have you just i should have seen that one coming <laughs> which I is a think... negative one hmm that, that, that's a tough because I've had, I've had a lot of wonderful positive experiences. I've had a lot of really uh, wonderful support from my parents um, and my family, like really very much. So more, I, I think a lot of people do, but I've, I've just been super fortunate to not, not necessarily financially, just like love and support. Just like, yeah, do it. You're great. And they love, my parents love to come to my concerts and listen to my music. And that's been really my, my whole life. And um. I'm trying to think of like a specific positive thing that has happened, but I mean, in reality, you know, the when we released the record, that first record for my band, that was that was actually a really positive experience. I wrote almost all the songs. In the I I have writing credits on all the songs, but I had wrote in, I, six out of the eight on that first record were totally just mine, and I had done it in a ragtag way. I produced it, and I was the one who was driving the force. And, uh, you know, making sure all the things, you know, we were in the studio or I was ma- writing, doing stuff in my room and recording. So when that came out and I was able to say, I made this and I had made other things with other projects, but this was like, Whoa, this is on iTunes and Spotify. I don't, I didn't even care if anyone listened to it. It was just like, Holy shit. I, I made that happen
2: yeah.
0: and it's there. And I have all taught, you know, like we, you can do Distrokid and CD baby and all these things. So you can I mean, there's so many avenues that you can just make it work now. So that was such a – I guess that was a really positive experience of just being like, I did this, and people like it, and we're getting hired. (laughs) And then um, playing at French Quarter Fest that first time a few years back um, for like 1,500, 2,000 people or something, you know, and playing music I wrote that people who never heard it before, but the chorus was catchy enough that they could catch on by the second one, so they were singing along. Whoa, what you know that that was really stunning. I think Hmm. that's
1: fantastic. Final question is what does music mean to you?
0: (laughs) Uh, music, I think of it in shapes and colors a lot of times. I would say that music is expression and an unexplainable emotion, it is inherent. To humans, historically, like uh, spe- specifically percussion, but you know because that was the easiest thing. But but then tones from there, we have an innate. Also, I'm very much into the uh, physics and science behind music, and nature, and with the harmonic series and you know Fibonacci sequence and all these things. I mean there there is there is mathematics in it, and there is something to music that is and sound, that is part of our, our experience as humans and our brains, like the way that we perceive waves and sound waves specifically, that to me can affect other yourself and other people in a, like nothing else. Yeah, I think that's what music means to me. It is, it is the ultimate way to change your mood or express your mood to somebody. Um, as Mr. Rogers, you know, if, you, if you've ever seen, um, what's that, Won't You Be My Neighbor, that the new documentary about him, or the recent one, there's a really great part of him that just is, ex- it's, from, it's from an episode from like, you know, the 80s. And he's just like on the piano. If you're feeling sad, you just start smashing the, the low keys because those low clusters, that's how you feel. Or you could play a beautiful chord. and He just plays this beautiful chord. And I was like, yes, yeah, if you're feeling beautiful, you play a beautiful chord. And if you feel like shit, you start smashing the keys (laughs) and you can tell people and, and people know exactly how you feel when they, when they hear that. And they also can feel that way too. There's a, there's a simpatico situation going on when you create music because you also kind of start to dictate the emotions and the feeling that you have towards others and vice versa. If you're listening to music, you absorb those emotions. And we connect music with mm-hmm. so many memories. So, you know, your favorite song comes on or something from your childhood or, you know, girlfriend or parents or, you know, your siblings, something that like you just connect with. You're just like transported. And it can be wonderful, even if it's Absolutely. even if it's hard, even if it's um, up, even if it's not totally uh, uh, pleasing and happy. There's still something about it that is just like remarkable. It can be a sad song. Mm -hmm. It's something that can make you upset because it's a reminder of a loved one. And it's, but there's some, it takes you right there. Absolutely. Fantastic. (laughs) All right.
1: So if people want to check your music out, get in touch with you, where can they go?
0: Okay. They can go to our website is thecrookedvines.com. And we recently launched a Patreon. That's patreon.com slash the crooked vines. But you can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Apple Music, SoundCloud, all the... I mean, we're everywhere. Uh, So now we have three albums out, two studios, and one semi-live album. That was a lot of fun to make. A lot of hidden secrets in there, too, for those who are interested on the Patreon. The liner notes I did uh, kind of describe a lot of the hidden... Like, one track starts in 2016 edits to 2019 back to 2016 in one track because we did a certain song different ways throughout time and i wanted to make an impossible version mm-hmm. <laughs> another stuff is so yes yeah, so you can listen to us you can find us on all the website uh, all, all the music platforms our website the you can email us at uh, the at at gmail.com so essentially googling the crooked vines will get you everywhere so awesome you know what I didn't ask you what where does the, the
1: name come from? Is there a story behind <laughs> why you called the band that?
0: I, I have to give that credit to James, uh my my co-partner and uh trom- the trombone player of the band, and he sings as well. I, when we were naming the band, because we were Scruff McGruff for a little while. That was the name I had, and then we were the ambassadors, and then or Scruff McGruff and the Ambassadors. I don't know, it was it was a, you know, we were still doing like cover band stuff. And I was adamant that I wanted uh the now adjective noun like the flaming lips the rolling stones i really wanted that pattern for a band mm-hmm. name and i think he was at his i don't know whatever apartment he was at the time and he was looking at some lattice work i think he was uh, you know having <laughs> enjoying himself and um <laughs> just sitting outside and and he, there were vines growing and he was just like oh man vines i guess they're crooked or something like that. He texts me. He's like, what about the Crooked Vines? I was like, it's better than some of the other suggestions we've gotten. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah. All
1: right. And at the end of the interview, I always like to play a piece of music by the, uh, the artist I'm interviewing. So what, what track would you like to play?
0: Uh, from the new album? I think uh, I, I sent them to you. You got them, right? Um, so uh,
1: I should have done. Yep. Yeah.
0: So um, move, would be the uh i would say the uh the kind of the the radio hit i suppose if there was you know that's the one we're pushing for radio although if you want something a little more he- hard and heavy coffee stains is interesting but <laughs> so i would say yeah
1: either are i mean it, that's totally up to you let's do move
0: yeah move is do move yeah. a- a- any uh, stories behind that that's always it's just kind of a crowd pleaser i guess because it's upbeat and people can sing along to it 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 was originally written by our, our bass player at the time, way back, our first bass player, Sam Friend, who's in the Stoop Kids now, which is a band and they're based in Nash- Nashville. And he was like, dude, we need like a dance song for like, like, like can we just do like a Paul Simon, like you could call me out type of thing. He just started playing this bass line. I was like, keep it going. And I just started playing chords on top. And then the drummer at the time was just like writing lyrics. To I guess another song that he was thinking about, and then he was like, "Wait, what are you guys working on?" I said, "The song that we've been playing the entire time. You've been sitting over there. Have you not been listening?" He goes, "Well, I wrote these lyrics." (laughs) I said, "To the song." He goes, "No, to another song, but I guess they'll work." And then like I wrote the chorus. It was just this like bizarre, uh, you know, amalgamation that turned into this song, "Move." Um, So, and this is I actually one of the least edited on the album, mostly alive. It is more by basically the most basic track, although the beginning where you hear James talk is really funny. I that is oddly edited, but I'm not gonna give any more than that. So all right.
1: Well stay tuned yeah. and stay to the end and you'll listen you'll hear that. Yeah. Awesome. Well this has been a fantastic interview. I really appreciate you coming on. Thank um, you.
0: Thank you so much. I'm so definitely so glad.
1: I think we could do a, a part two at some point. <laughs> I would I would love that. I love this. This I think we, you know the conversation has flowed nicely. I'm so glad. Thank so. you. That's wonderful. All right. Well, thank you. And uh, yeah, continued success. Thank you. You too. Thank you so much for listening. I'd really appreciate it if you would leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform, as this really helps get the word out about the podcast so that other musicians can benefit from the awesome knowledge that my guests are sharing. The more the musicians community collectively learns, the stronger we will all become. A rising tide lifts all ships. Sponsored by the Skinny Armadillo Printing Company in Fort Worth, Texas, offering screen printing, embroidery, laser engraving, and a range of other services. Go to theskinnyarmadillo.com to learn how they can help you get your merch business to the next level. Keep pushing the needle, be excellent to each other, and may the Schwartz be with you. This is The Crooked Vines with Move.
0: Move. Y'all ready to get up with us? No, 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 I said, y'all ready to get up with us?
2: I want to see some people moving. They say knowledge is power. They say ignorance is bliss. I say this is the hour threshold. The first step on the face. The walls seem way too high.